Hey mom, do you have trouble saying no to people? Do you find yourself saying yes when you should have said no or you wanted to say no or you try to say no but you end up getting talked around or pushed into it anyway? I get it. I've been there. I've done that. My clients have done that. And I've come up with a formula for saying no as well as looking at what are some of the things that cause us to say yes and looking at some of the psychology of that and dealing with different people. And I put it all together into a short class, something that you can grab online. It is the art and science of saying no. And in there, you will learn my formula, you will learn tips and strategies, and you will discover that you can ditch guilt and stress. And along the way, stop yourself from being overscheduled too. Just visit sandyfowler.com and you can click on the art and science of saying no or go straight to that page at sandyfowler.com slash saying no. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, the podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief coach, speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast, with a quick reminder to go to mightyparenting.com and get your free email series on how to talk with your teen. Having some great conversations with parents about going through this series and taking these steps to change their communication patterns with their teens. So I'd love to hear what you think and what's happening in your world as you test that out. We hear a lot in the news from many of the experts that we have here on the show. We hear a lot about resilience. We hear about learning through failure and we are, we're encouraged to let our kids fail. But what is that really mean for us as parents? You know, why do we need to do that? What does failing actually get them? Why do we want to help them do that? And kind of how do we go about doing that? What do we need to know about that process? So joining us today for a hard look at failure and some of the other things going on with our teens is Luke Reynolds. Luke has been a high school middle, middle school teacher. He is the author of the books, Fantastic Failures and Even More Fantastic Failures. And he is graciously sharing his wisdom from work and being a dad here with us today. Luke, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Hey, Sandy, thanks so much for having me on. It's great to be with you today. So Luke, I am curious, when you decided you were going to write, I mean, you're, you're an instructor, you, you work in, in English lit and in journalism and teaching. When you decided to write your own books, why did you write about failure? I, th I think one of the big reasons is, you know, I, I, I took a good hard look at my middle school students, my high school students, and, um, and even now my college students. And I saw that failure is an area that, you know, we all, especially I feel like in the last 10 years, it gets a lot of, you know, it has that buzzword connotation like, hey, failure is okay. It builds resilience. But then when it comes to actually failing, it's not okay. You know, we, we send that message in our culture. I think it's okay to talk about it, that's, but doing it, actually failing, no, that's unacceptable. That, that induces shame. And so I wanted to really try to tell some stories 
about real people that I knew my, you know, my students would admire and appreciate who actually failed and take a good hard look at, no, this is their real life. This isn't just lip service. Like it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to fail. Like these are real people who we admire, who struggled and failed and, and you should too. And so that was really the impetus for, for, for writing these books and for, um, for wanting to get this message, particularly to my students. Um, and also it's a personal message that I care deeply about for me based on a lot of my own failures. <laughs> well, and we all have them, right? What I think is interesting in what you said there, especially for me right now is this idea that basically we give lip service saying failure is okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, what are some of the ways that we end up telling our kids failure is wrong? Not necessarily mm. with our words, but yeah. our actions, our institutions, mm -hmm. how are we actually showing them that, well, we say you can fail, but it's really not okay. Yeah. I mean, I, there's, I think there's so many examples. One of the, one of the first that comes to mind is grades, you know, so I, I, you know, and, and working with parents, we, you know, I had a lot of parent conferences, for my high school, middle school students, um, even now I communicate sometimes with my, my college students' parents, um, and it's it's a fascinating thing to watch. And working with the kids and the parents, you know, grades is one of those issues where we say, "Hey, it, it's okay. We we should learn. Getting a C is okay. Getting a B minus is okay. Getting a D is okay." Like I I got a, I think a D minus in astronomy in college, and you know, it, it was it was a beautiful course, but I struggled through it. Um, so we say, you know, these are words and, and, and when we're talking with other parents, yeah, it's okay. I want my, my kid, to, it's all about the learning, but then when it happens and a kid gets a C minus or a D or a B minus, it's, it's a, it's almost a panic. And, and you can see parents saying, well, well, what, what, what went wrong? Why, why, why didn't they get the A? What did they have to do to get the A? So it's one of those situations. And I think there's a lot of these like this in life where we say, Hey, it's okay. I just want you to try your best. I want you to work hard and learn. I, you know, we, I care about the heart of your learning and your growth and doing your best. But then when, when the actual report comes back, when the actual so-called verdict comes back, if it's not great, students themselves, parents, we all tend to have this sense of, wait, why, why didn't I do better? And it's almost, and I think that question passively, you know, inside our kids' hearts and minds gets interpreted as, um, what's wrong with me? You know, why it's a, it's a, I think it's a shame inducing message. And we say as parents, no, I just want them to do their best, but our reaction, even if we, even, and this is what I found lately, especially with my college students, even if a, a parent's reaction facially and, and with their words is, um, Hey, okay, that's okay that you got to see, but you can almost look at their nonverbals, their body language, and they look disappointed. Then the kids, the, the older students tend to interpret that as, I really messed up. And those are the ways I think we tell students, you know what, lip service wise, it's okay to, to not do great. I want you to learn. But then when they don't do great, we kind of say, what went wrong? What's, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you do better? And that's one of those discord, discordant moments, I think. And I think there's a lot of them, but that's a real um, clear one that I see consistently. And have you seen that expand beyond parents? Like, are there pressures inherent within the school or within their peer group along that same line? Definitely, definitely. You know, I think, I, I mean, you could, we could look at anything. So again, not to, not to focus on parents, I think we can look at sports and coaching. We can look at, um, you know, just peer culture. You know, when you think, um, like, like, let's take one now, you know, a lot of older, older teens and, 
and 20 something they're into YouTubing and creating videos and TikTok and those things. And it's fascinating to watch, you know, we, in our culture, we don't necessarily celebrate the attempt, we celebrate the result. So if, uh, if, if somebody tries to make a YouTube video and say it's not great and they're, they're working with iMovie and they're trying to put something together and it just, you know, it just didn't go that well. We don't say, hey, that, you know, that, and, and peers don't necessarily say, hey, that, that was an awesome try. That was really cool that you were trying, I see what you're trying to do. We, peers tend to, you know, shame and say like, that was really stupid, man. Like, what were you thinking? Or that video didn't get enough likes or that post didn't get enough, you know, uh, appreciation and, and for, and, and, you know, retweeting and things like that. So I think culturally and also, um, yeah, and in sports, I see this too, you know, we, we have coaches who say like, it's okay to make mistakes, but then if it's a big game, it's not okay to make mistakes. And you see, I see even the most patient coaches struggle with this. I want my players to, to, to do their best. And it's hard to actually live that out. And, and so, so none of us do this perfectly, but I think there's room for us to grow. And I think one of the ways we grow is by celebrating attempt, by really saying, look, the, 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 the heroism is in the attempt and trying to have that long-term view rather than the short-term you missed the three-pointer, the TikTok video bomb, the YouTube video you created was not quality. And, and we tend to shame each other. And the long-term view is, yeah, you missed it that time, but look, when this game comes up next time, maybe you'll make it then, you know, kind of that long-term view that I think um, is very hard to, cu to in, in culture and within us. And I'm thinking about this and imagining it playing out right in different scenarios through my parenting years. And mm. I think that one of the things that can happen is even in taking that long-term view, we can end up unintentionally moving beyond celebrating that attempt by going, you know, you'll get it next time to still send that message of going, well, this wasn't good enough. You've got to look at how to improve it as opposed to, you know, you made the team and you were out there in, in maybe going backwards and looking at what they overcame to get where they are. Maybe they were terrified to try out for the team. Maybe they had, you know, and I am not a big sports fiend, so I don't have a great analogy off the top of my head, but, you know, maybe they, they didn't have a, a when they, they were on the swim team and when they started swimming, they didn't have any good strokes and they just kept working at it and now became sort of the team's all around swimmer. They don't excel in one area, yeah. but they're the guy that can fill in when someone on their team, you know, wherever someone on their team isn't able to come and they can fill in anywhere. I don't know, whatever, yeah, but, but yeah. going back to what did they overcome already to get to this moment kind of feels um, good to me as, as a parent, because partly because I know that's one of my weaknesses. I know that one of my weaknesses is always where we're going to make it better. How are we going to make it better? How are we going to make sure that whatever went wrong this time doesn't go wrong next time? Yeah. Did yeah. that even go wrong? Yeah. Like, yeah. The thing that we think went wrong, did it actually go wrong? Or was that failure a learning moment, which you talk about? Can you share more about how things that we perceive as failure really aren't? They're, they're learning processes that we have to go through. Yeah. Yeah. To find the the path or the success that we want 
Yeah, that that's such a beautiful point, Sandy. And I agree. I think I think we do tend to we, we don't tend to celebrate what we have come through. We mm-hmm. tend to always be looking for well, what what's what's the next achievement? What's the next result? And I think that that's a that's a huge key. And I I do think that we by focusing and, and again, like you said, I'll implicate myself as a dad. You know, I, I try very hard to not do this, but it is such a challenge with my own four boys to think. I want to celebrate the journey they're on and help them see that it's all about growth. That's it. Like the end of the day, all, all of life is about growing, learning, growing, changing, becoming more who we, who we really are. Uh, but it's hard not to, to focus on the results. It's hard. You know, if I'm like, for, the, for instance, the other day I was teaching my 12 year old to split wood and uh, you know, and I love splitting wood. It just feels good to be outside and, and moving and things like that. I'm in the classroom a lot. So I was teaching him and I, I tend to think of myself as patient, but in the beginning, you know, it's difficult to learn and it's hard to figure out. And I was, I had to almost stop and, and self-talk and say, it's not about right, right now, Luke, this is not about him becoming a great wood splitter. This is about me and him having time together. He's interested in learning this and just slowly letting it, letting him get it, letting him slowly get it. And it's not that he has to be, you know, the best wood splitter or great at it or even love it. Right now, he he wants to learn. He wants to spend time with me. Let it happen. And I had to just let go of like, you know, it's a small, it's a seemingly silly example, but that's what I'm trying to no. do all the time. It's, trying to it's sort a of beautiful, say, I'm sorry. It's a beautiful yeah. example, Luke. I absolutely love that because what you said in the middle of it was, what is this really about? And I think that can go back to the sports and the grades and the, the music programs and the friendships and the activities and the hobbies. It's why are you really doing this? Mm-hmm. I think you're rarely going to talk to a kid and say, why did you join the basketball team? Well, I joined the basketball team because I want to win every single game that is success to me. That is happiness. None of the other stuff matters. And it's like, really, you know, none of the, the team spirit, the camaraderie, the getting, like you said, you know, just getting outside and moving is why you like to get out there and split wood. And then bringing your son into it was, this is about spending time together. This is about him learning some, maybe a life skill, maybe just the movements. We know we need to, we need to depending on which of your boys you're talking about, because I know yeah. it range from, you know, one to 12. We're assuming the one-year-old wasn't out there, but could be seven or 12, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you Not know, yet. at seven, yeah. we're still developing our muscle movements and things. Yeah. So there are lots yeah. of other reasons. And I think that's a tack we can take with our kids is why do you want to do whatever it is? Join the team, join the sport, learn more about this hobby. You're out in the backyard building a, a potato gun, you know, like, why do you want to do that? And maybe digging into their why yeah. can help us, even if not them, help us find ways to help them celebrate along the way and to celebrate the real successes, which are the things that answer their why. Mm-hmm. That's a great, that's such a great point. And I think what you're saying, Sandy, it feels like to me, that gets right down to motive. And I think I know one one mistake I make as a dad and as a teacher too is is um, thinking thinking that I already know the motive of my kids and students 
and assuming like, okay, I know their motive. They want to be able to do this really well. And sometimes asking why, um, there's a great question. My, and, and my, my college students who are going to be teachers, um, there, there's a book we read called Making Thinking Visible. And there's a great question. They say, you know, every teacher should ask and when a student shares something, instead of saying that's right, that's wrong, uh, that's not quite it, try again. The question we should ask as teachers is what makes you say that? Like, hey, what, what makes you think of that? In other words, it's that why, like, huh, I wonder why you thought of that. And getting the student or, in, you know, as parents, getting our kids to talk more. What makes you say that? And, you know, like, I'm no good at this. What makes you say that? This is not, you know, but asking why and getting to that motive and allowing our kids and students to open up and share with us so that we don't assume and we hear what's really going on and we can sort of help them process through that. I think it's crucial um, to do that. The other thing though, what you said makes me think of is, you know, culturally, I'm, I'm a huge movie fan. I love watching, you know, the Marvel movies and I love romantic comedies. I love action. I love pretty much, I, I, I seldom find a movie I don't like, um, but it's always fascinating to me in movies where, you know, somebody is training to do something big, whether it's a boxing match or a chess tournament, whatever it might be. And we have the struggle, 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 struggle. And then we have about a minute and a half montage of them really getting it. You know, it's like, and then they, and then they usually at the end win or succeed or do. And I think while it's fun to watch that process in a movie, it's deeply dangerous to, to us as parents and teachers. And, and for our kids, I think it sends this subtle passive message. So yeah, you can struggle, but then the process of, you know, uh, of you becoming an expert should last about a minute and a half. You, you know, you're just going to do a few quick things and then you're going to be successful. And it's that deeply um, flawed message that first of all, what matters most is success. And then the other myth being uh, to succeed, it just takes a little bit of work, like the montage, and then you're there. And I think that, you know, I'd love to see a film celebrate just the journey, not like at the end, like, and then they did this amazing thing and then they won. And then, and it's, it's, you know, films that celebrate the actual reality of it's about growth. It's about growing, growing, growing. And I know that's hard to um, sell in an hour and a half, but it's a beautiful story, I think, as well. It is. And I think those are the stories you brought out in your books. As you as you talked about the processes these people went through and opening the book with Barack Obama's story and where he was at and how crazy unlikely it was that he would get that presidential nomination. And it wasn't something that happened in a minute and a half. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think, and I, I love his story, particularly for, you know, when I talk with my students about it, I feel like that's one we can, we can really relate to. And, and when I talk, you know, now with my oldest son, um, he's starting to be at that age where he's able to understand this, but, you know, wanting something and having the doors shut in your face. And for Barack Obama, you know, he was at the, the 2000 Democratic Convention in LA. And there's this poignant, you know, at the time, heartbreaking moment for him, where at this point, he's, he's not really anybody on the national scene. He had lost, uh, um, you know, a, a, an election back home in Illinois. And he's trying to figure out what, essentially what am I going to do with my life? He goes out to the 2000 Democratic Convention in LA and they're nominating um, Gore and they don't even let him into the convention. And he describes this moment in a podcast with, with David Axelrod where the doors are just, the double doors are just closed in his face and he can't get in. 
and he, he describes watching the convention in the hallway on the TV monitor. And that's just a poignant moment because I think, I don't think there's any of us who haven't had that feeling of being on the outside, the doors have closed, you're watching, you're watching life on the monitor and you want to be in, in the hall. And, um, and I think the question is, well, then where do we go from there? Do we despair? Do we, do, and, you know, do we give up? And, and sometimes with our kids, it's not, it's not always try harder to, at this thing. Sometimes it's, is there a different path? Like maybe do you really love chess or was chess an outlet for something else? Is there another avenue you could pursue? Do you really love basketball or is basketball an outlet for something else? Maybe you, maybe you would enjoy track and throwing the javelin. Maybe you would enjoy, you know, ballet. Maybe there's, I think sometimes it's work harder if you really love it or change course and it's okay to do something different, you know? And, and I think those moments when the door closes, that offers us an opportunity as parents to talk with our, our kids about, well, what now? Where, where do you want to go from here? And that's one of the things that, well, in, in the entrepreneurial world, we see a lot of people trying different things. I've done this myself. And it's, it's not that sometimes things are a failure. And yet, like you said, sometimes it's just a new path. And it's kind of like I needed to go down that path to either build some skills, learn something new, or discover what I don't like about that path and then choose another one that has what I like. So in your example, basketball and track, maybe you went, oh, basketball, that'll be fun. And it turns out that you enjoy the training, you enjoy running and you enjoy that piece, but you don't like that they're little tiny sprints of running interrupted by throwing the ball, you know, or maybe you love shooting for baskets, but not the running back and forth on the court. So in your example, like, you know, throw the javelin, that, that would be something similar and different that, so the conversation, what does the conversation look like with our kids? If they've hit, you know, they've hit a wall, the doors are closed in their face, or they're just trying and trying and keep doing that, trying harder, trying harder. What's the conversation look like that is a positive conversation, not a, you know what, you really stink at this. Are you sure this is what you want to do? (laughs) We don't really want to come across that way. I think, and that's a great point. And I think a lot of it is trying to, I think sometimes I feel like my job as a dad or a teacher is not necessarily to to be always giving new content or new ideas, but it's really to hopefully try to ask good questions and then listen with my whole self. Like that's, I feel like that defines being a parent or a teacher, ask good questions and listen with my whole self. And, and I find a lot of times the students or my kids, they'll eventually get there and it takes a while. But by when I sit with a student who, you know, so I, a lot of times my seniors who are graduating college are kind of like, what now? Do I want to go on for a master's degree? Do I want to teach? Or I, I didn't pass my licensure test. So I can't be a public school teacher. Th- those doors have been closed in my face. Now, what do I do? And by sitting with them and, and trying not to judge and trying to ask good questions, if I say, so what, did, what about teaching got you so excited? What were you looking forward to? What did you love about it? What did you envision? Um, you know, if you could wake up tomorrow and do anything in the world, what would that be? And asking some of those questions and students start to open up and sometimes together we can process. So this is what you really wanted. So, okay, you didn't, you know, since we're talking about basketball and track, you didn't make the basketball team. Well, what were you hoping for? What was your vision? 
well, you know, I wanted to see myself running down the court. I wanted to, I just wanted to make new friends. I, I wanted to find something I was good at. I wanted to, you know, whatever the case might be. And then sometimes by asking questions, we can help redirect them. Like this isn't everything, you know, basketball is not the only way to do that. There's lots of other ways. What about this? And, and sometimes our kids and my students, they, you know, they haven't thought of other possibilities. And the only reason I brought up track is, and basketball for me, it's very personal in high school. I wanted to be, you know, I, I, I wanted to play in the NBA eventually and play for the UConn Huskies. I was not tall, not fast, but I worked my butt off and I just, I eventually made my high school basketball team. It was, it was a great team. They, you know, we won state championships and stuff. I played probably five seconds a game. You know, I was just never as hard as I worked. I never got to play. And, and, and one day the, the, um, the gym teacher at my high school who was also the track coach. He said, Luke, you, you ever think about throwing the javelin or the discus? You ever think about coming out for track? never even heard of the discus, you know, the not on my radar, but he's like, you know, I think, you know, you're building, I see you, you're very disciplined, you work hard, why don't you just come do a track practice? I went and the javelin and the discus are awesome. For any parents who are listening, that's just an incredible way to get involved with sports, low pressure, low stress. There's, it's not a very competitive, even in, in schools where track is very, you know, um, a, a big sport, it's still not competitive in the way that some other sports are like basketball. I made great friends and I loved being out in the field, throwing this discus, throwing the javelin. And it was all about challenging myself. Could I throw it a little farther? And um, for me, it was a profound moment that I, you know, I'm 40 now and I still think back to being 16 and having the, the coach tell me, have you thought about this? Um, so sometimes our role as parents and, and, and teachers and coaches is, hey, what about this? Have you here's this sport, here's this, you know, activity, you might never have even tried. What do you think? And, and sometimes our kids find these passions that, you know, they never would have known if we hadn't um, offered them or, or, or thrown them out there. So I think those conversations look like first discerning, hey, what about this is, is making you feel so much despair? What, what were you hoping for? What did you really want when these doors closed in your face? And if, if the motive feels very, you know, healthy and good, I think our role as parents and teachers is to say, this is not a verdict. You know, this is not a courtroom and, and the doors are saying, that's it. You'll never try again. You have the rest of your life. You can keep trying to get into that room. But if the motive feels unhealthy, I think our job is to help them process and say, is there, what about this? Have you ever considered this? You want to give it a go and not pushing, but keep offering some other possibilities as well. I love this idea too of offering other possibilities. I'm kind of extrapolating this out to career paths. Our kids, well, and us too, really, you know, we only know about certain careers and, and kids pretty much, they know the jobs for people they come in contact with. And a lot of those are clerks and receptionists and things. Otherwise they, they know their doctor, they know about police officers and firemen, but they don't have corporate experience. They don't have work experience. So they don't see behind the scenes and know what other things are happening. Mm -hmm. And these conversations where they've tried, and it could be anything that they've tried, can also be great conversations to pull in when we're trying to help them make college choices, test out courses to see, you know, what they'll like, uh, trying to get, uh, 
internships and apprenticeships and things like that, we can go, well, what have you done in your activities? Like what did you pick activities? That you did? What did you love about basketball? What did you love about band? What did you love about hanging out on the beach on the weekend? What did you love about playing video games? And, and if they, one of our other shows, um, there was a discussion about if they like playing video games and they're good at it, ask them, how did you become good at that? And so it's, you know, what did you like about it? How did you either become good at it or how did you make improvements? You know, how did you get better at things? And then taking those things and going, okay, these are the things you like. These are the things you're good at. Let's take those and find out what kinds of jobs, what kinds of careers incorporate those things. And, and it's just, it's a thought process that you were walking us through with this, you know, what were you hoping for? What did you want? And, and taking those thoughts and looking at what are other paths. And that's one of the areas that there's a lot of angst in high school for parents around yeah, those yeah. career choices, as well as for our kids, they get completely freaked out. And again, in college, when it's time that you must declare your major, or you've already declared one, but now it's getting late in the game, if you were even considering changing it, like, you know, you're running out of time, <laughs> there's, there's all this anxiety. And I think what you were just teaching us about failure helps us see some of those things a little bit differently, too. Yeah, thank and and you know what what you said too is fascinating. It made me think of um, one other I think cultural myth that we we often propagate is you know I think we tend to tell students you know um, you know and and through a variety of ways as parents as coaches teachers just the societal structure that the faster you do something the better that's the I think a, a huge myth that we tell people. Like the fact, you know, like like you said, you got to get to college, declare your major when you're in high school, take the APs, you know, even even look at something like reading, you know, we tend to in our culture, um, you know, say, hey, the, the earlier a kid reads, they, mu they must be brilliant. So, wow, this kid's reading at three. He must be, you know, this is awesome. He's genius. And I think that that's a detrimental thing to think speed, to equate speed with ability or 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 intelligence. Oh, you know, that's a very dangerous thing. And I think there's, there, there's a lot of research out there, you know, especially in the educational literature, I, I like to read that, that just blows that myth apart and says, actually, the speed at which you can do something, how early you can do something actually has no correlation between our intelligence or ability. In fact, it's the depth with which we learn to do things, the, the joy we derive from doing things. And so that's something I, I try in the classroom and with my own kids, I try really hard to help to dispel that myth to say, look, it, it doesn't matter how fast you do something. What matters is how much joy you derive from doing something because the people often that, that, that think I've got to get on this track really, really quick and, and do what I need to do and get the right grades and pick the right major and get the right job. They often also burn out really, really quick in the literature. We see there's a, there's a very short lifespan um, not not their actual life, but the, the the energy span, the lifespan for the work just dries up, you know. And and we're experiencing now at the college level, we have freshman students. It's 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 becoming a very big problem. Freshman college students who are burned out, you know. They but they're you, you we we used to reserve the term burnout for like 45, 50, 40 year olds who have kind of you know I've been working twenty years. I'm I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm burned out. I've you know this the rat race is hard. 
But now we're using the term burnout with 20 year olds, 21 year olds who have made it through high school and we pushed and pushed and pushed to achieve, achieve, achieve. They start college as freshmen, freshmen and they're like, I'm burned out. You know, I am done. I'm so exhausted from the speed at which I was pressured to perform and excel that now I feel there's, there's very little internal motivation to keep growing. I'm just exhausted. And so in, in place of that, I think what, what we need to do is encourage students in our classrooms, even our AP class, slow down, like go deeper. Let's learn a little bit deeper about who we are, the content we're, we're studying, engage a little bit deeper instead of quick, 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 accomplish what we can. I hear that. And I have one who was burning out in college. And that's one of the reasons I asked about other pressures because you know, my husband and I saw our girls pushing themselves really hard in high school. So we were actually pulling them back. We're like, skip school. Don't do the homework. Don't pray. <laughs> like, it's okay to not get a 4.0 child. You know, this is not the thing. And yet there was all this pressure, which technically is internal, but what were the messages they were hearing? And I'm sure there were messages that we didn't pick up on in the household, just you know, about achievement or like I said, my propensity to go, okay, well, Sandy, you did something, analyze it. What went wrong? How do we do it better? That's a message to my kids about everything they do. Yeah. And yeah, one of the, what I did notice is that it, it wasn't as much about her courses, but in her extracurriculars, when she was able to go deeper into her extracurriculars and increase her joy there, it lightened the academic load for her, which was really interesting because it wasn't going deeper in the academics. It was going deeper in a different area of her life, but just having that joy in her purpose yeah. and maybe in her mind that also took off a little pressure, like, okay, maybe my purpose is more around this than around these academics. Not that yeah. she will push herself. And mm -hmm. my other one, you know, they both took AP classes in high school, although we pulled them back from some and we made my older one drop and, you know, at the semester switch, we're like, you have to drop an AP class and switch out to something else. So look at your schedule, look at the classes and pick something. Yeah. Then when she went to college, we spoke with an instructor at the college and said, you know, she was talking about, my daughter was talking about these classes she'd taken in the AP and how that would fit into the track. And she was going into the biological sciences and she had taken AP bio and the college professor said, retake it in college, mostly just from the standpoint, having nothing to do with the academics, but that her, her peers would be starting in that class. So if she jumped ahead and didn't take those first, first one or two classes, she's like, you're going to be in all the rest of your courses with upperclassmen. You're not going to be with any of your peers and you're losing out on so many other things. And in hindsight, you know, I went back and I talked to my daughter about that a few years after she'd done this. And she said it was the best thing she ever did for a lot of reasons, the peer group being one, another being that it, she just got that message. Like you don't always have to be pushing forward. Yeah. It's yep. okay to take that step back. Yeah. And then she said, taking the class in college was a whole different world than taking mm. an AP class. And so already 
generally knowing the material, just let her get a better sense of how do you get through a college class versus a high yeah. school class. Yeah, that's that's such a great example. Yeah. And I think it's it's profoundly important to, to do that. And I think that helping our kids and our students stop and slow down and say some like it goes back to what you were saying at the beginning, Sandy, too, about, you know, the, the celebration. You know, I think when we're always pushing like, OK, we finish this now. What's next? You know, like what? Let's push it. We don't actually we're, we're not giving ourselves or our kids much time to just sit, you know, just like let's let's celebrate this a little bit, but sit with it and say, hey, this content is interesting, engaging. I want to I want to use this. I want to learn this. Sit with it longer. Don't don't always be pushing ahead. It's it's actually really important to just sit with things for a bit. Um, and I think in our culture, I think, like you said, it's not just from parents. I, I see it as a as a teacher, as a college professor. It's it's deeply it's it's peer pressure. It's societal. It's cultural. It's pressure from careers. It's it's pressure from everything from, you know, ads for, you know, financially is your retirement ready. There's just a whole lot of pressure saying achieve, 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 push forward, push forward. And what I've found, too, is, you know, with working with my students, when, when, our, when our minds and our bodies are in a, a sort of a healthy, calm, peaceful state, we actually, and this is the irony to me, and I've seen this over and over again over you know, the last 20 years in teaching, when we're actually calm and centered, we accomplish way more than when we're sort of harried and we're always trying to push forward and, 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 and rush through things and figure out what we have to do and who we have to be. Um, and I'll see, you know, college students, I'll give a, an assignment, say, and, you know, some of the ones who are very, uh, who may, may tend to be anxious and worried and want to get that 4.0 and, and, you know, they'll sometimes come to the office and say, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble. What do you mean? What about this? What about this? And we'll just sort of like breathe together well <laughs> in the office, do some mindfulness. Like, but we're just going to, we're not even going to talk about the assignment. We're just going to breathe. We're going to catch our breath. We're going to talk about life for a minute. You know, what's your favorite food or whatever. And then we'll say, all we're going to do, and I'll do this with a student, is we're just going to write for about seven minutes together. And all I want you to do, and I'll say to the student, I don't want you to even look at the assignment. You know the topic. You know it's about you know, um, literacy intervention or something. So all I want you to do is write for seven minutes about what do you think literacy even means? What does it mean to you? Let's just write. Anything goes. If, it, if you think of Captain Underpants, just write Captain Underpants. That's why I think of literacy for seven minutes. And what happens is I'll watch in their nonverbals, their body language, they'll start to relax and, and, you know, be like, professor, anything, like anything, whatever, if you think of diary, write about that, whatever it is, you just write for seven minutes, anything that comes to mind, when you think about literacy. And they've got, you know, at the end, like a page. And I'll say, there's a lot of good stuff here. Let's pull some of this. Here's your thesis. This is your theme. Here we go. But it's almost like turning off that pressure filter that you like you said we've internalized and we've taught students to internalize push 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 go 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 what's the product what's the product and it's turning that off a bit to say what's the process we our brains our bite we're meant to experience and to live so what's the process we're not perfect you know creatures we we need to think in a very haphazard way let's process all of that and once we do let's take out these gems that our brains come up with and then let's go deeper with those. But it's a very low pressure process rather than hurry, hurry, hurry and achieve. And I think um, I just I just wish that, you know, that our culture could do more of that. Take a breath. And instead of focusing on achieving, what can we actually process and work through? And we will. And the caveat is we do get there. You know, we get to it's not like I tell my students, don't worry about handing in your assignment. I'd say we'll get there. 
but let's come at it through this low pressure, creative, open-ended way. And, we'll, and then eventually we're gonna get to some really good ideas for your final paper, but let's get there in a more peaceful, um, you know, less stressful way. I love that. And, and I wanna remind ourselves as parents too, that even if our kids are pushing themselves, we, we may not be able to help them stop doing that. We may not be able to counteract all the societal pressure, but changing what we do and our messaging at home really does have an impact on them. So just remember, mighty parents, that you can't change the world, but you can change yourself. You can change what you're doing with your kids. And Luke, you've given us amazing ideas and information. So for anyone who wants to learn more from you, where can they find you online? Um, well, you, you can feel it if you want, feel free to shoot me an email. I love engaging with people, readers and, and students and stuff. So um, my email is lwreynolds at gmail.com. Um, and I also do have a website. It's just www lukewreynolds.com. So either of those ways are, are great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today, Luke. I know you are busy. You've got four boys and it was kind of crazy for you to <laughs> actually end up showing up here today. So I really appreciate that. I think you've given us such great insights. Oh, thank you, Sandy. And I appreciate everything you shared and it was awesome to connect with you. And thank you, Mighty Parents, for joining us today. Remember to share the podcast with another parent, especially this on failure, because the failure, the pressure, the anxiety your kids are dealing with is absolutely huge. So please share this with another parent. Remember to go to MightyParenting.com and grab your free email series on how to talk to your teen, which really dovetails nicely with today's talk. And just Thanks for being here, for being part of the Mighty Parenting community. Remember that if you're here, you're listening, you are a mighty parent. You got this. And I will see you next week. <laughs>